This is Tailgate Till May, part of the Believe Podcast Network. If you love college sports and you like to put a little action on the games, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm excited to be back for another episode. You can find me on social media, Twitter or X, Instagram, TikTok, all at Gorgon Sports. I'd love to hear from you there because I want you to be a part of the show. I want to hear what you're thinking. I want to know what you want to hear about. I want to know what you think I got right. And of course, what I got wrong. So hit me up on social media at Gorgon Sports and get involved in the show. Got a big show for you today because we are previewing week four. And week four, that's the kind of week that you dream about as a college football fan. Big matchup after big matchup after big matchup. We got a couple monster games with Notre Dame, Ohio State and Florida State Clemson. And I'm going to dive deep into both of those. But first, there is a ton of injuries injury news out there and a bunch of news out there related to personnel. So let's start off with some injuries and some news. And there's so much quarterback related stuff out there right now. So I'm going to go through as much of it as I can here. And this is going to be an alphabetical order by team. So starting with Alabama, Nick Saban names Jalen Milrow, the starting quarterback for Alabama for this weekend's game against Ole Miss. It was just a disaster a week ago in the passing game between Buckner and Simpson. Milrow didn't play at all in that game. And Nick Saban came out early this week, made it clear he's the starter and that he has played the best of those three guys. I couldn't agree more. I think Alabama still has a chance to be very good. I think they can be a 10 maybe a nine win team with Jalen Milrow. If they tailor the offense to him, he's an explosive runner. We've seen him make some plays in the passing game, but he's not a perfect quarterback by any means. I think he does give them the best chance to win week in and week out. And he will be the starter against Ole Miss this week at Arizona state. Quarterback Drew Pine took first team reps per Sun Devil source, which is Arizona State's 24-7 or 24-7's ASU site. He looks like he will be the starter. Jaden Rashada out a couple weeks with an injury. So it looks like Drew Pine will be the starting quarterback for Arizona State this weekend. At Baylor, Blake Shapin is still out, not expected to play against Texas this weekend. Sawyer Robertson will get the start again. He has not been great. This will be his third start. He He's throwing for 45% completion percentage, just one touchdown to three picks. This Baylor offense is struggling, and Sawyer Robertson has got to try to be better if they want to have any chance against Texas. At FAU, quarterback Casey Thompson is out for the season. I believe it's a knee injury. It's really unfortunate. It's a team I was excited about before the year, bringing in Tom Herman as the head coach, bringing in Casey Thompson as the quarterback, who I thought performed very well at Nebraska last season in a tough situation. Unfortunately, he will be out for the year, and his backup is Daniel Richardson. He's a transfer from Central Michigan. Similar style to Casey Thompson in that they're both pass-first quarterbacks. So I wouldn't expect the playbook to necessarily change significantly, but I think it's safe to say that Casey Thompson was a step up from Richardson. So one to watch out for there. The next injury here is one that impacts a bet I already made early this week, and I'm really disappointed about it. Kansas State quarterback Will Howard is questionable for this weekend's game against UCF. He was banged up in that Missouri game. He was kind of hobbling at times, but he he played the whole game, and I didn't think it was much to worry about. Turns out he's questionable 
for that game. Uh, Chris Kleiman says that KSU will probably go with Avery Johnson. Avery Johnson is a true freshman, very highly regarded quarterback. He was number 85 overall per 24-7 sports, the number nine quarterback in the class. So super highly regarded guy and a guy they like a lot. They used him a little bit last week. He's got some wheels. They used him a little bit in the running game and they would put they would uh, split Howard out wide. So Clement says that he will probably be the guy if Howard can't go. That changes my bet that I made. Kansas State minus six and a half hosting UCF a lot. This could be the battle of the teams without their starting quarterbacks this week. And I, I don't love this bet at all if Howard can't go. This line now has moved a lot. I've seen it at like four, Kansas State minus four, maybe minus five, depending where you look at it. Uh, I'm seeing it right now. Let's see, minus four and a half couple places, BetMGM, Caesars, five and a half at FanDuel, five DraftKings. So basically between four and a half and five right now, it opened at six and that's what, six and a half. That's what I got it at. I'm not interested in playing it right now if Howard is out. Another injury took place in that Missouri-Kansas State game, and that's Missouri's quarterback, Brady Cook. He is questionable this week with a knee issue. They host, uh, well, host is a strong word, but they play Memphis in St. Louis. So it's not a true home game. It's a semi home game, semi neutral site game. I would imagine Missouri will have the home field advantage there in Missouri, but it's not super far or in uh, St. Louis rather, but it's not super far from Memphis either. So I'd imagine there's some Memphis fans there too, but either way, Brady cook who had that great game against Kansas state is questionable with a knee issue. If he can't go sophomore, Sam horn would get the start in his place at Nebraska. Heinrich Harburg will start versus Louisiana Tech. He got the start last week versus NIU. Jeff Sims started the first couple games. Harburg will start this weekend against Louisiana Tech. Some old news, but a reminder, UCF quarterback John Rice Plumley. he'll be out a few weeks. And uh, transfer USF transfer Timmy McLean got his first start for the Knights last week against Villanova. Looked pretty good against an FCS school. Went 20-28 through the air. He had nine rushes for 44 yards on the ground, but he'll get his first real test this week against Kansas State in Big 12 play. Utah, we've had this quarterback situation with Utah all year long. Cam Rising, their starting quarterback, has not played yet, and the, the quarterback situation behind him hasn't looked great. Rising practiced on Tuesday, and Kyle Whittingham said that he looked good um he said they also said they wouldn't know anything for 48 hours expecting to hear something on or expecting to get some sort of decision on if he's cleared by the medical staff on thursday per josh furlong of ksl.com said they won't make anything public so we might not know up until game time whether cam rising is actually going to play against ucla in or again yeah against ucla in utah's bit pack 12 opener down in san antonio utsa quarterback frank harris is listed as day-to-day 
UTSA falls to Army a week ago without Frank Harris. They go on the road to play Tennessee this weekend. And Jeff Trailer, the head coach there, says if he's not 100%, he won't play. So that's another one to monitor there as they take on Tennessee. Could be a big difference in terms of how you bet that game. Sticking in the AAC, let's talk about Tulane quarterback Michael Pratt. He's missed the last two games, and it's unclear exactly what his status is for this weekend's game against Nichols, which is an FCS school. They may just keep him out for precautionary measures. He did warm up before the Southern Miss game last week, but he wasn't quite 100%. Looking ahead at Tulane's schedule here, they have Nichols, then they have UAB, and then a huge game for Memphis. It wouldn't shock me if they just keep him out of this game before they get into the meat of conference play here and make sure he's 100%, especially for that Memphis game on the road. That could go a huge way towards deciding who makes the AAC championship game. At Virginia, last week we thought that Tony Musket was going to be good to go, that he was going to play in that game against Maryland on Friday night. Turns out he was just available as an emergency option. Tony Elliott, the Cavs head coach, this week said that Tony Musket has, quote, he's progressing beyond emergency status. I think Anthony Calandria, the freshman, is the better option. He was a guy who... He made some plays with his legs. He can do some things that will keep you in games. He can also do some things that will take you out of games as far as turning the ball over. Turn it over a couple times, three times to be exact, against Maryland. But he also made some big plays. He kept plays alive. I thought it was a really good comparison what Mike Loxley, Maryland's head coach, said during the week that he reminded him of a younger Talia Tungavailoa. They have a very similar style and energy about them, both undersized quarterbacks, both guys who are kind of gunslingers can go out and make plays, keep plays alive, but sometimes make big mistakes too. I think with Anthony Calandria in the lineup, Virginia has a chance to put up some points and possibly win some games. That defense hasn't looked good yet, but I think Calandria is at least something for whose fans to be excited about sticking in the state of Virginia. Virginia Tech also has some quarterback news and issues. Uh, quarterback Grant Wells did not play last week against Rutgers. Kyron Drones got the start instead. It's unclear whether he or Drones will play this weekend when they go to take on Marshall on the road. Yes, that's right. ACC Virginia Tech is going to take on Marshall on the road. And it's unclear which one of those two quarterbacks is going to play. I'm not sure at the end of the day it matters because in some other injury news for them, they will not have wide receiver Ali Jennings this week. He's their big play threat, and it's a huge loss for them. One guy they might get back, though, a wide receiver, is Jalen Lane, which would be a little bit of a help, but still, I think Ali Jennings is a huge loss for them. Just a couple more pieces of quarterback news here. Wyoming quarterback Andrew Peasley was out for that Texas game last week where Wyoming stuck close through three quarters before Texas finally pulled away. They have App State this week. He's questionable for that game. That's one to keep an eye on. And then at West Virginia, quarterback Garrett Green, who suffered an ankle injury in that bloodbath against Pitt. Just uh, talk about a backyard brawl. I mean, that's what that was. That was a grinded out slug fest. Garrett Green gets injured in that one. And uh, uh, Neil Brown says, quote, we won't play him unless he can utilize his best skill set, which is his athleticism. I'm not sure 
it's a huge deal. Well, and I shouldn't say it's not a huge deal, but they were a very run-heavy team a week ago against Pitt. Those are your quarterback news and notes. A few real quick non-quarterback pieces of news, injury news here. Arkansas running back Rocket Sanders, he didn't play against BYU. His status is unsure this weekend against LSU. Head coach Sam Pittman said he ran well at practice. He's progressing, but he still doesn't know if Sanders is going to play. Uh, Travis Hunter, the do everything wide receiver and cornerback at Colorado. He's out with a lacerated liver after that late hit that was put on him in the Colorado state game, South Carolina wide receiver, juice Wells. He's out for the foreseeable future, a big loss for a, a South Carolina team. That's in desperate need of weapons. Syracuse tight end, Ronde Gadsden out for the season. Syracuse did great without him last week. Garrett Schrader, their quarterback, just got it done on the ground. But you got to keep this one in mind. I think it's going to hurt the Syracuse offense at some point. He was their he was their biggest threat on that offense. And then for Iowa, a bunch of bad injury news this week. Top target and tight end Luke Lachey likely out for the season after undergoing right ankle surgery. And then an Iowa offense that is already struggling will also be without its top two running backs in Caleb Johnson and Jazzy and Patterson, both officially ruled out for this weekend's game in Happy Valley against Penn State. Just really tough news there for an Iowa offense that is continuing to struggle despite hopes that they would improve greatly this year with Cade McNamara at quarterback, with the tight end combination of Lachey and Eric All, a running game that they expected to, to be improved, and of course, the incentive that Brian Ferentz has to score more and more points. So some bad news for Iowa there against a big-time Big Ten game on Saturday night. Last piece of injury news here, Kansas State running back Treshawn Ward, the Florida State transfer, is doubtful for this weekend's game against UCF. That Kansas State offense seems to be really banged up coming out of that game against Missouri. That is your week four injury news. A ton of injuries out there. Really important to keep track of all that and what's going on with personnel as the season progresses because it can have some major impacts on the lines, a major imp- some major impacts on how you want to play these games. So we'll definitely continue to monitor that as the season goes on and more and more guys get banged up. But now let's dive into the games of the week. And that's right. I said games of the week because it's a monster week in college football and we got a couple huge games. And the first one I want to get to is the ACC battle at noon in Clemson. Florida State goes to Death Valley to take on the Clemson Tigers. Florida State has not beaten Clemson on the road in 10 years, since 2013, and they're going to try to do it to maintain their perfect record here in week four. The line on this game is Florida State as a two and a half point favorite with a total of 55 to 55 and a half, depending on where you look. Florida State comes into this game undefeated, of course, getting that big week one win over LSU on a neutral site in Orlando and Clemson two and one dropping that Labor Day night game 
on the road to Duke, something I don't think anybody truly saw coming. Yeah, you might say, I thought Duke had something in him to stick with him, but I can't, I don't, I did not hear a single person predict that Duke was going to win that game like they did. So, what are the keys to this game? The question I keep asking myself is can Clemson's offense hang with Florida State's, or alternatively, can Clemson's defense just shut down Florida State's offense and win them the game? Because I think we all know what Florida State's offense is now capable of. That receiving core between Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman, it has to be right up there with Ohio State and Washington as the best group of receivers in the country. Watching Keon Coleman in week one against LSU was just a revelation. And then to see him a week later hurdle a Southern Miss defender, this guy's athleticism is just off the charts. And it's so clear when you watch it. They have so much talent there on the outside. And then they have Jordan Travis, a quarterback who I think is a legit Heisman Trophy contender right now. He's been through so much. He's so experienced. He's seen it all. And he is playing like a poised, experienced quarterback who has been there forever. And Florida State's offense is absolutely humming. Now, Clemson has been pretty good defensively this year. They're top 20 in defensive success rate on passing plays. And while Florida State generates a ton of explosives in the passing game, they're top 15 in that statistic. Clemson's top 15 in the nation at limiting explosive pass plays. So, can Clemson's offense hang with that Florida State offense or can Clemson's defense shut it down and win them the game? Well, so the first point, can Clemson's offense hang? I truly don't think they can. I think Clemson just doesn't have that same skill on the outside that Florida State has. Florida State's receivers are very clearly better than Clemson's receivers. Florida State also has the advantage at quarterback in that Duke game, Clemson did move the ball. And that Duke game, to be honest, is the only game I really care about that Florida that Clemson has played. Much like the LSU game is the only game I really care about that Florida State has played, to be honest with you all. I don't find there to be too much value in these other games that these two teams have played. Because when you're talking about teams that are at this level that are at the college ball playoff national championship level, I think it matters so much more how you perform against teams with comparable talent than against teams that are clearly are inferior from a talent perspective. But in that Duke game for Clemson, they move the ball. However, it seemed like every time they were in a big spot, something went wrong for them. They had a couple field goals block, which is a special teams issue, not an offense issue. But that offense looked shaky when they got in big situations. It was like they were, the moment almost felt too big. And there's not a stat for that. There's no way to quantify that. But it was the feeling that I got from watching that game. And then from Clemson's defense, defensive perspective, you know, can Clemson's defense just shut Florida State down and win this game? I don't think so. I don't think they can do it. In that Duke game, Riley Leonard ran through the Clemson defense. The Clemson defense looked really slow at times in that game. And Jordan Travis can do exactly that and more. I think Florida State is pretty clearly 
the more talented team in this game, at least on the offensive side of the ball. And I like Florida State's defensive line, honestly, a lot better than I like Clemson's defensive line, which kind of seems like a wild thing to say, you know, looking back at what Clemson's had on the offense, on the defensive line rather in the past. But Florida State seems to have the better defensive line to me. So when I look at all of this, I just feel like Florida State's to play. I took Florida State minus two and a half on Sunday when the line first dropped. I know it seems like a really public play. The number four team in the country goes on the road to an unranked team as the favorite. It seems like the obvious thing to do if you're any sort of savvy better at all is to take Clemson in the points. How can you not back national championship winning Clemson led by Dabo Swinney at home? You got to feel like he's going to have them fired up. He's going to have them on their game. But I really feel like Clemson or Florida State is that much better than Clemson right now. Florida State, from a vibes perspective, they feel like the team that's at the top. And Clemson almost feels like the team that's trying to knock them off. These guys don't care what happened four, five, six, seven, ten years ago. Florida State, and I've thought this since I heard them speak at ACC Media Day, especially Jared Verse, is a confident team. They believe that they can do anything. They believe their college ball playoff caliber. They believe their ACC championship caliber. They believe their national title caliber. They have a sincere belief in themselves. All these guys came back to accomplish something more than just win the nine games that they did last year. They came back to win championships. And I feel like they're playing with this confidence. Swagger is such an overused word in sports. And we use it so much, especially with Miami and to Florida State to a lesser extent that they have this swagger. They that got that Miami swagger back. They got that Florida State swagger back. Florida State is carrying themselves with a confidence with a swagger, if you will, where they just believe in themselves and they believe in what they can accomplish. And I don't think they're going to be scared at all going into this game in Death Valley. It feels like Clemson is the program that feels like, uh, can we meet this moment? Can we match the moment? Is the moment going to be too big for us? Because that's how it really felt in that opening week game at Duke. It felt like the moment was too big for Clemson. Florida State's the more experienced team. Florida State's the more talented team, in my opinion. Florida State has the better quarterback. And I'm going to roll with the Seminoles here. I don't want to get caught being late on Florida State. Sometimes there are teams that just pop up and they are clearly much better than they were a year ago or two years ago. And Florida State feels like one of those teams. And I don't want to be caught trying to catch up to them all year. I think they have it. I think they are that team to an extent like LSU a couple years ago. I'm not ready to declare that they are national championship caliber yet, but like LSU, I was trying to wait for them to fail all year. And I'm not going to wait for this Florida state team to fail because I every at every step they have proven they can meet the moment Clemson in week one felt like the moment was too big for them. This is a big chance 
for Florida State to exercise some demons, and I think they will. I think for Clemson to have a chance in this game, they need to get off to a good start early. They need to run the ball successfully with Will Shipley, and Cade Klubnick needs to be calm and composed and not panic. He felt panicky at times in that Duke game, and I think he certainly has the ability to do it, but you're going to have to make, he's going to have to show me that he can do it. Those receivers at Clemson are going to have to show me that they could go toe to toe with Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson on the other side who get separation at will, who make big plays. And I haven't seen that out of Clemson's receivers yet. So give me Florida State. I think they're the better team. I think they're the more skilled team. I think they're the more confident team. And I think they go into Death Valley. I think they get a win. And I think they solidify themselves as national championship contenders. Give me the Knolls a minus two and a half on the road. The second big game of the day, and this is going to be a night game, and I love how this schedule sets up on this day. We have a very clear game at noon that everybody's going to be tuning into. We have a very clear primetime night game that everybody's going to be clearing, uh, tuning into. That's the one game you're going to have to watch at each of those time slots. The second game is Ohio State going on the road to South Bend, taking on the Notre Dame fight, fighting Irish Ohio State, a three-point favorite in this game. The total is 55 and a half. And you talk about a helmet game. You talk about a uniform game. You talk about tradition. These are the kind of games that I love to see. Two historic teams playing one another, not in an NFL stadium, not because somebody forced them to play, because they, but because they went out and they scheduled one another for a home and home. We saw it last year at the Horseshoe. We're seeing it this year in South Bend. I absolutely love it. This is gonna. This, this is the kind of game I just love to see. So, how does this one play out? There's so much on the line for each of these two teams here. Ohio State, of course. Moving on from the C.J. Stroud era, they've had three games to break in quarterback Kyle McCord, and it's still kind of unclear if he can handle this. This is his first big road test. Yes, they went on the road to Indiana in week one, but with all due respect to Indiana, going on the road to Bloomington is not the same thing as going on the road to South Bend. This is his first big test. And I think everybody's kind of waiting, myself included, to say, okay, is this Ohio State offense going to just continue humming along like it always has under Ryan Day? Or have they finally hit a bump in the road? And I think we're going to find out a little bit more about that question. We're going to get somewhat of an answer to that question in this game, because this is the first real test they've had. Now they looked a lot better offensively against Western Kentucky last week, but Western Kentucky is a defense that is not very good. I also keep thinking when it comes to this game is how much do we really know about Notre Dame? Because Notre Dame has not played uh, the toughest schedule yet. They went on the road to NC State, and they got a win, and that was a big one. And the thing that stuck out to me in that game was how they were able to run the ball on NC State and how they were able to hit explosive plays. 
But I, I keep wondering how much of that was because of NC State and how much of that was because of Notre Dame. I watched all of NC State UConn and I watched all of NC State Notre Dame. And UConn did some of the similar things in the run game that Notre Dame did. So while I think it was a really nice win for Notre Dame, I think some of it was on NC State too. I think NC State maybe made them look a little bit better offensively than than they might be. So how does that relate to Ohio State? Well, I think it comes down to a lot for Ohio State. Can they stop the run without bringing a safety down with ex- without bringing that extra safety down? Can they play two safeties high and can they try to stop the run that way? and still have that extra help in the pass game to protect against big plays. In Ohio State's losses to Michigan, particularly the one last year, Michigan hit big play after big play in the passing game, in large part because Michigan runs the ball so well, and they had to defend against the run. They had to bring that safety down. They could only play with a single high safety, and uh, Michigan was able to exploit that and hit some big plays on them in the passing game. Now, Ohio State's defense this year has been really good, and that's another big question you got to ask yourself when you think about this game, when you think about how you're going to play this game, when you think about the angles in this game. Is Ohio State's defense really the top five defense that Bill Connolly's SP Plus system says it is? Do you feel confident in that after three games against Indiana, Youngstown state and Western Kentucky, that Ohio state's defense, a defense that biggest weakness was giving up the big play a season ago. Do you think it's fixed? And do you think it's a top five unit in the country? I'm probably somewhere in the middle on it. I think they're, they're certainly improved. And I think one of their cornerbacks, Denzel Burke, has played really well. He's ranked number 13 by pro football focus among all cornerbacks with at least 60 snaps this season. So I think he's played really well. I think their secondary has looked good. But against that level of competition, I'm also not ready to say, yeah, this is definitely a top five unit. So I think that's one of the other big questions in this game. A big matchup we've got to watch in this game, and it comes with uh, Notre Dame's offense on the field versus Ohio State's defense, is Joe Alt, Notre Dame's projected first-round tackle, against JT Tuimoa Lau, the defensive end. That is going to be a huge matchup. I think whoever wins that battle, that's going to go a long way towards deciding whoever wins that game. You remember JT Tuimoa Lau had a monster game last year against Penn State. Felt like he single-handedly won it for Ohio State, and he he's a game wrecker. And can he wreck Notre Dame's game plan? This game, if you remember the game last year when C.J. Stroud was the starting quarterback, it was a really low-scoring affair. It was nip-tuck. It was honestly kind of a boring game. And I feel like that's the kind of game that we're going to get again. I feel like Notre Dame is going to make sure they establish the run, they do what they do well, they run the ball with Audric Estime, and they use that to set up some big plays 
in the passing game. Chris Tyree, a converted running back, now playing slot receiver. He's been huge for Notre Dame this year. I think that gives them a nice option in the passing game. And I think it's pretty clear that Sam Hartman has been a monster upgrade for at the quarterback position. He allows them to do more. He allows them to have a real downfield passing game. I think in this game, I would say I, I trust Sam Hartman more than I trust Kyle McCord. I mean, how can you not at this point? What has Kyle McCord done so far to say, hey, yeah, you really got to trust this guy, especially going on the road for his first big test year. But the way I'm going to bet this game is I like this as the under 55 and a half. Both of these teams are bottom 30 nationally in plays per game. Both offensive ha- both offenses have been pretty good at creating opportunities and converting those into points. They're both top 25 in two metrics I really like called echo rate and points per echo. Uh, those are stats created by Parker Fleming. You can find him on Twitter at stats war. He does a great job with advanced stats, but what is it? What is an echo? What is echo rate? What is points per echo? Well, essentially echo rate is a measure of uh, the number of productive drives in a game. So what percentage of all your drives are productive and productive is defined as, an uh an instance where your offense has first and 10 across your opponent's 40 yard line or a big play for a touchdown so that's an echo that's the echo rate the percentage of all your drives that are productive drives and then the points per echo is a measure of how well you convert those opportunities into points so basically How many points do you score divided by how many scoring opportunities you have, more or less? And both offenses have been very good in those metrics, but both defenses have also been very good at limiting their opponents to scoring in terms of scoring opportunities. And then once they do get scoring opportunities, limiting them from scoring points. We all know Notre Dame likes to run. That's what they do. That's what they do best. They're the 18th best team in the country in terms of success rate on running plays. But Ohio State has been the sixth best team in terms of defensive success rate on running plays. I think that this is going to be a game that's very much like last year. It's going to be low scoring. I think Ryan Day and Marcus Freeman both play this game fairly conservatively. I, I think Ryan Day plays this differently with Kyle McCord at quarterback on the road than he would with CJ Stroud as his quarterback at home. And I think both teams are going to run the ball a lot. I think both defenses I expect to play well. I don't expect there to be a ton of opportunities in this game. I think if Notre Dame can run the ball, suck a safety down, then there's going to be an opportunity to hit big plays. And I think for the Notre Dame defense, it's going to come down to how well they can, they can limit those excellent wide receivers in Marvin Harrison and Emeka Abuka. And Notre Dame's 
secondary has been really good this year. But I expect this to be a close one. I expect it to be tight. I expect it to be low scoring. I think Ohio State's defense is much much improved, even if I'm not quite sure yet. It's a top five defense in the country, and I really like that under 55 and a half. I am also going to use this game as part of my money line parlay of the week. Notre Dame to win outright is going to be one of the legs of my money line parlay of the week. And I, it's because it's at home. It's because I trust Sam Hartman more than I trust Kyle McCord. And it's because I think they are going to control this game in a way with the running attack where they can control the clock. They can control the flow. And if they do it successfully, they can hit on a big play. And I think it might just take a couple in order to win this game. So give me the under 55 and a half and give me Notre Dame as one of the legs in my money line parlay of the week. Okay, you know what time it is. Let's run through the games this week. It's time to spray the board. I will tell you what I'm watching and what I'm betting in week four of this college football season. Last week, with all my bets, I was four and four against the spread, one and zero on my money line parlay of the week. One of those losses in that four and four record was a hedge on that money line parlay of the week. So, uh, with the picks I, I gave out pregame, I was four and three, one and zero on the money line parlay. I ended up netting out at plus five point one nine units on the week. Really nice week in large part to that money line parlay on the season 17 and 21 against the spread one and two on money line parlays of the week down just under two and a half units. It's time to get on the right side of things. Let's go. Starting with the noon time slot. I got a bet here on Oklahoma going to Cincinnati to take on the Bearcats in their first Big 12 game at Nippert Stadium. Ohio or Oklahoma rather has looked really good so far this year, but I think in large part it's because of the competition they've played. They've played Tulsa, who's number 107 in SP plus, and Arkansas State who's 125th. I see this as a bit of a buy low spot on Cincinnati, sell high spot on Oklahoma. Cincinnati is coming off a brutal overtime loss to Miami of Ohio, where they had a game-winning field goal attempt blocked at the end of regulation. In that game, they outgained Miami 538 yards to 358 yards. They were able to move the ball. And in large part, Emory Jones has looked really good in that Satterfield offense, moving the ball up and down the field in their first couple of games. Cincinnati also has a really good defensive front, by far the best defensive front that Oklahoma's seen this season. Their 15th in front seven havoc rate against an Oklahoma offensive line that has some question marks. That Oklahoma offensive line is a hundredth in offensive havoc rate allowed. So going into conference play with a hyped up home crowd in Cincinnati, they've been waiting for this opportunity for a long time. Give me the Bearcats plus 14 and a half at noon on Saturday. Moving on, a game I'm not betting, but I want to keep my eye on a little bit, is Rutgers at Michigan. And I am pretty heavily invested in Michigan from the preseason. I have Michigan national title bets. I have J.J. McCarthy Heisman bets. They host Rutgers. Jim Harbaugh is finally back, and they're a 24-point favorite in this game. The total's 44. SP Plus 
says that Michigan or Michigan has underperformed SP plus in every game so far this season. And I say, who cares? All of these games for Michigan have been essentially meaningless. And I think they will continue to be meaningless until they play Penn state and Ohio state. The most important thing to me for Michigan is to avoid injuries and to avoid wearing down your star players. I like the way they've split carries with Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum. I think that's going to serve them well as they progress through the season and get into those big games. On the flip side, Rutgers is 3-0, and and they've had a really strong running attack and some good defense. They, they've won a Big Ten game against Northwestern. They've beaten Virginia Tech in a non-conference game. Really nice start for Rutgers. But in this game... And if they want to make a bowl game this year, they are going to have to get more from their quarterback, Gavin Wimsett. He was just 7 of 16 for 46 yards last week against Virginia Tech. Fortunately, for their sake, they didn't need him to do more, but they are going to need him to do more in Big Ten play. I don't think this one is even close, but I have no bet on it. I want to keep an eye on it just as a Michigan National Championship and J.J. McCarthy Heisman better. Elsewhere at noon, I have another bet here, and it seems like I have a bet involving Virginia Tech every week, whether it's for them, whether it's against them, whether it's an over, whether it's an under, and this week is no different. They go to Marshall, and Marshall of the Sun Belt is a four and a half point favorite over Virginia Tech, and you know what? I am rolling with the Marshall thundering herd here at minus four and a half. This is a game that the Marshall fans are going to be jacked up for. If you're not familiar with that part of the country, it is not very far from Blacksburg, Virginia to uh, West Virginia there. And it's something where it's, it's going to be important regionally, And Marshall fans, it's going to mean a lot to them. They are going to fill that place. They are going to be fired up. And then you add in the fact that Virginia Tech's offense is just not good. After week one against ODU, I thought maybe they had turned a corner. They added some of these new pieces who at, at receiver who I thought were really important. Well, unfortunately for them, those pieces, Ali Jennings and Jalen Lane, uh, got injured. Jalen Lane looks likely, maybe not likely, but possible to come back this week. Ollie Jennings will be out again. And I think without the explosive threat that Ollie Jennings provides, they are just not a team that can score. They're 92nd in Bill Connolly's offensive SP plus metric. Marshall has the 38th best D in that same metric. And Rutgers absolutely mashed them on the ground for 7.5 yards per carry. Marshall's a little bit better on the air through the ground. But at the end of the day, this is a bet against Virginia Tech and their inability to score. We talked in the injury segment earlier, unsure whether Grant Wells or Kyron Drones is going to be playing. But without Ali Jennings, I don't think it matters. Give me the thundering herd minus four and a half. Moving on to the 3.30 time slot, we got to talk about Colorado going to Oregon. Of course, Colorado off to this big 3-0 start. They've been the darling of the college ball world. We've had big noon kickoff go there. We've had game day go there. We have people watching their games until 2.30 in the morning on the East Coast. They are the most exciting team in college football. And this week, they go to Oregon, where Dan Lanning said in the offseason, basically... 
what has Colorado ever won in the Pac-12? When a reporter asked him about Colorado leaving the Pac-12 for the Big 12, he said, I don't remember them ever winning anything. And now he has a chance to prove that they're still not going to win anything. Oregon, the big favorite in this game. This game just a week ago was sitting about like 14 and a half, 14 on the look ahead lines. Today, it is up to, I think it is 21 right now. I'm not sure why it's not coming up here for me. Let's see. Let's see. 21. 21 is a number that I got here on Oregon. I am not playing either side, although I do think Oregon wins and wins pretty big, especially without Travis Hunter in the lineup after taking that late hit a week ago. The bet I am playing here is the under 70 and a half. Look, we both know these are really good offenses, but Colorado's offensive line is starting to show leaks. Teams have been getting after Shador Sanders, and I think that Oregon's defense is going to have a field day here. I think that this one's going to get out of hand, and in blowouts, overs don't hit a lot. 70 and a half is a huge number, so give me the under here. Under 70 and a half. I think Oregon wins pretty big. I think their defensive line has a field day with that offensive line. I don't think Colorado can run the ball. So give me the under 70 and a half. The next game, let's stick in the Pac-12 here. And it's UCLA going to Salt Lake City to take on the Utah Utes. Utah has done everything they can to survive not having Cam Rising, their quarterback, and Brant Keefe, their tight end, early in the season here. They're 3-0. They won a wild one down in Baylor. They beat Florida at home in a huge win on the opening weekend. And now they kick off Pac-12 play as a a 4.5-point favorite over the UCLA Bruins. The total in this game is... 52 and a half and UCLA is a team that has played very well so far this year, but they very much slipped under the radar. I think that their quarterback, true freshman Dante Moore is by the end of this season going to deserve consideration in the conversation with the other great quarterbacks in the pac 12, whether it's Michael Penix or Bo Nix or Caleb Williams, Cam Ward, Cam Rising, uh, Shador Sanders, whoever else it may be, I think Dante Moore is going to be right there. He seemingly now has full control of that job. And UCLA, on a week-in and week-out basis, is just putting up astounding rushing numbers. This offense will mash you two weeks ago against San Diego state, a team that's traditionally known for its defense and stopping the run. They put up 254 yards on six and a half yards per carry Dante Moore in that game through the air had 290 yards, three touchdowns and no picks. I really like the way this UCLA team is playing. I talked about it earlier in our injury segment. We still don't know the status of cam rising, but if it's still that questionable, I'm not sure that he's really going to be at 100%. He also hasn't played at all this season. Getting thrown into this kind of game in live action, I think is really going to be 
a tough way to come back for Cam Rising, even if he does play. The fact that this game is in Salt Lake City is a big deal. If it was uh, if it was in L.A., I feel like it would be an absolute no-brainer but that Utah offense has just struggled without rising this year the defense has been as good as it always is but it has struggled a little bit at stopping the run which is exactly where UCLA thrives yes Dante Moore is going to have to go on the road for a big test early in his career. But I just think the way that this team has been running the ball, the way it's been slinking under the radar is exactly where it wants to be. Utah has been scraping by. They've, they've done a lot to get by without their star. But if they don't have him this week, I think UCLA takes this one down. Uh, even if they do have him, I still like the Bruins here. Give me UCLA plus four and a half and add them as my second leg of my money line parlay of the week. A game I'm not betting, but we do need to talk about Ole Miss going to Tuscaloosa to take on the Alabama Crimson Tide. Alabama between a six and a half to seven point favorite in this one, depending where you look. And after that disaster last week, Jalen Milrow will start at quarterback again for Alabama. I think it's the right thing. I think they can win a lot of games with him as at quarterback. And I think they just need to tailor their offense to him. I don't think the sky is falling quite yet for Alabama. I think they can be a 10-win team this year, and I think it starts with this game against Ole Miss. If I had to bet right now, my lean would be Alabama minus 6.5. At this moment, I'm still not quite ready to bet it. Might need to look into that one a little bit more, so I might add it later. And remember, for all my ads, for all my live bets, follow me on Twitter at Gorgon Sports. That might be one that I add. This is a huge one, though, for Ole Miss. If Ole Miss has desires to win the SEC West, this is a game that they're going to have to get. If they think Alabama is down and they have a real opportunity, this is one they have to go out and get if they want to be a contender in the SEC West. Sticking with the SEC West, let's move to the night where we have Arkansas going to the other Death Valley to take on LSU in Baton Rouge. Arkansas coming off a loss to BYU. LSU coming off an absolute thrashing of Mississippi State. LSU was a 17.5 point favorite in this game. The total in this game between 54 and a half and 55 and a half, depending where you look. It would be easy to sit here and say, LSU looked great last week. Arkansas lost to BYU at home. They didn't have Rocket Sanders. They still might not have Rocket Sanders. They just do not look like a great team right now, but I am taking Arkansas in this game plus the 17 and a half. Look, again, this is a rivalry game. This is a conference game. There were many years where Arkansas and LSU ended the season against one another. Weird stuff happens in this game. In that Arkansas, 
BYU game last week, Arkansas actually outgained BYU in the game. I still think that Arkansas's offense is significantly better than Mississippi State's transitioning offense and what we saw last week from them. They're just a team that is trying to figure out what they are, and they're between systems. They, I don't think they have the right personnel for that system yet. And say what you will about Arkansas, but Arkansas knows who they are. They know what kind of offense they are with KJ Jefferson back there at quarterback. I think 17 and a half points is too many. The Arkansas defense had been decent this year against a lesser competition until they played BYU. I, I like Arkansas to keep this one closer just based off it being a rivalry game based on them having a real identity be, behind uh, KJ Jefferson and based on KJ Jefferson being able to make some plays happen. I like them to bounce back here, a buy low spot for Arkansas. I feel like this game should be closer to a 10 and a half, maybe a 13 and a half or 14 line than 17 and a half. Give me Arkansas plus the points in this one. Continuing on with the night slot, a game that I just, I am going to watch it. I'm excited about it. I don't know how to bet it is Oregon state at Washington state. The forgotten two in the PAC 12 will square off against one another, both off to really nice three and O starts this season. I would lean, 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 lean towards the home team, Washington state getting three points at home. I bet them a couple weeks ago against Wisconsin that paid off for me. Uh, I, been talking about their offensive system with Ben Arbuckle as offensive coordinator, Cam Ward at quarterback. I think it suits him really well. He has almost a thousand yards and nine touchdowns on the season already, but Oregon State has been great too. They have DJU now as the quarterback. They have a really nice running game. I think both of these teams are really good, and I know both of these teams would love to win the league in the last year of the Pac-12 as we know it. I would to lean towards the home team, but it's it's really one that I just am interested to sit back, watch, and enjoy. I think one of these teams will ruin somebody's year in the Pac-12 at some point, but no bet for me on this one. A game that I am betting, 7:30, is a Big Ten game. Iowa goes to Penn State. And I'm betting the Nittany Lions minus 14 and a half. I don't believe in Iowa. I am low on Iowa. I was low on Iowa before they had all the injuries on offense. I don't believe they can score. I was not impressed with their performance last week where they, and it's not only because they ruined my uh, Western Michigan plus 28 plus 28 and a half bet with a touchdown with 30 seconds to go. I was not impressed with that at all. That was a game that was 14 to 10 at halftime. And they put up a bunch of garbage touchdowns at the end of the game. Cade McNamara, nine of 19, 103 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. And then you add on top of that, all the injuries we talked about at the top of the show with Luke Lachey, their top tight end, really top receiving threat in general going out. Their top two running backs will not be playing. This is a Penn State team that I think has legitimate college ball playoff aspirations. I think this Penn State defense 
might be just as good as this Iowa defense. I would not be surprised if they hold Iowa to under two touchdowns in this game. And I think they absolutely roll. I am very low on Iowa right now. Uh, So give me Penn State minus four and a half. My last game of the night here is a game that I actually have played already, but would not play if I was betting it now. And it's Kansas State minus six and a half against UCF. So I would not go out and play it at that number. I would not go out and play it at at four because of the injury to Will Howard, Kansas State's quarterback, and Treshawn Ward, their running back. I don't feel good about that. That I bet this one when I thought that Will Howard was healthy and would be playing. I really like the opportunity to bet against a uh, John uh, UCF without John Rice Plumley at quarterback, but with that injury, that's just too much up in the air for me. So I, I bet this one on Sunday when it dropped. Uh, I would not recommend going out and betting it right now. And that's actually not my last one. My apologies here. I have one more for you. And it's the other team in that Missouri-Kansas State game last week. Missouri. Missouri takes on Memphis in St. Louis. And I am going against the Tigers here. I am taking the other Tigers, the Memphis Tigers, at plus six and a half. I've been a big fan of Memphis all year. I like their passing game against Missouri's defense. Brady Cook, Missouri's quarterback, is banged up, and I like Memphis here getting just under a touchdown. I will also add Memphis as the last leg of my money line parlay of the week. So my money line parlay of the week is UCLA, Notre Dame, and Memphis all to win outright. That's plus 1722. So just over. 17 to one for that money line parlay of the week. What a week of college football it is going to be. These are the days when we're in the dog days of summer in June, July, when you're reading your college football preview magazines that you are dreaming of. So enjoy every moment of the games this week, everybody out there. I can't wait to watch them and I can't wait to come back on Sunday night and recap it all with you. I will talk to you later this weekend and until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.